Hi there, my name is David Young, and I've built this podcast for all of us photographers looking for some extra inspiration. Every Friday, I interview local photographers about the how and the why behind their projects, and at the end of each episode, I add a thought or a challenge for both of us to consider as we continue our pursuit of awesome photography. You can help me keep this project growing by sharing this podcast with your photo-loving friends and by subscribing and leaving a review or a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Ultimately, the goal is to stir up conversation and thoughtfulness about photography as a practice, and I wanted to start each episode with a thank you. Your attention and focus on these artists and these conversations help the community at large keep growing. So, without further ado, welcome to my viewfinder. Who's your favorite person? My favorite person, people, are my are my two kids, and um, and it, it's just because I think kids are just the most amazing and fascinating little creatures because they, particularly when they're your own for some reason, you think you know them but you don't, and they come up with the most interesting ways of looking at the world or interesting questions or interesting things that they do and um, like one day I, I came home and my son had spaghetti all over the floor like hard spaghetti and then he had his his uh, his toys on top of it and I looked at him and said what on earth are you doing and he said well I needed to make grass because there's none outside right now to play on so he spread and he would do that with tape like I, I came home one day and I couldn't get up the stairs we had this sort of like wrought iron stair handrail things it was an older house and he had taken scotch tape and gone back and forth and like a big huge spider web in between these things <laughs> I looked at this thing going and I said Max what is this he goes it's my sculpture it's very good <laughs> no more scotch tape than that was anywhere like I had to hide it after a while because he'd have sculptures in his closet and but just just fascinating things like the things that they think of and uh, I don't know how could that not be your favorite <laughs> My Viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network is a program to support Albertan podcasts by connecting us with local businesses and initiatives to keep our stories and our interests at the fore. If you're interested in finding more Albertan podcast content in a wide range of topics, check out their website, albertapodcastnetwork.com, or you can connect with them over social media. They are at Alberta Podnet on both Instagram and Twitter. And now a sponsored message from ATB. Looking for a way to give back? ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities. To learn more and donate, visit atbcares.com. This week, we meet Angela Bain. Angela is a documentarian photographer based here in Calgary who started with building a photography project at home with her teenage kids, but then that evolved into projects documenting different cultures in different parts of the world. Most recently, she's developed a project documenting the forest in the mountains around us. How did she start her journey? Has she been taking pictures her whole life? If you look at her portfolio, would you believe she's only been taking this seriously for around three years? 
Let's talk to Angela and see if we can get some insight into her process and how she's developed into such a great photographer in such a short time. Here's the first part of my talk with Angela. We didn't have a, um, a cancer center here that was worthy of the population and, and the city. And so I started the charge to get Calgary a new cancer center, which took me eight years of working with government and so forth. Um, we all know where that's gone. It's halfway through construction. And I left that behind when, when the shovel hit the ground. Um, I resigned as chair of the cancer board. And that's when I picked up a camera. And really the only reason I picked up a camera is I looked at my two kids and I said, holy smokes, I've been so busy. My kids are in grade 12 and 11, and I want to do everything I can to capture every last moment I had with them. So I turned down all volunteering at that point. I took on nothing. All I did was spend time with my kids before they had to leave home for university. And in doing so, picking up the camera, I didn't want to just take snapshots of them or pictures or you know them blowing out the birthday cake kind of thing. Um, I wanted to do it justice. Like I actually wanted to, to pull together a story. So. I don't have time to go to art school. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know how to use this camera. So I, um, I figured out, I did some technical classes and then I figured the best way to, to, do, uh, to do this was to get a mentor. So I um, went, reached out for mentors and mentorships and I ended up finding somebody who I didn't realize was a famous photographer because I didn't know anything about photography. Isn't that kind of funny? But they were probably, they were such a strong mentor. They put the bar so high and I had to close that gap so quickly in so many ways that it was probably the best way to have approached this that I, that I ever could. And in learning that after, you know, I, I, I still had to close the gap in a number of ways and whatever I needed, you know, it's sort of like you're working on something that's like, like it's a painting and all of a sudden you realize you need a specific paint or a specific brush, only in this case it's photography. So I'd, I'd be in a situation and I've had no idea how to edit or sequence as an example. So I would supplement my learning uh, through courses or classes. I go to ICP in New York and they had very sort of targeted classes for very specific topics like that. And I would take what I needed. I, you know, I didn't need to learn the general stuff that I will never use. I just made it very targeted. So my introduction to photography really was uh, my very first project, which I called Don't Tell My Mom, about teenagers. And uh, that, was, that was my introduction to photography. I think the, the other interesting part for me in, in terms of my introduction to photography, when I reached out and I, I found my first mentor, they said, they gave, sent me a list of about 50 photographers and photo books to study. And they pretty much said, go away for six weeks, study all of this and don't even talk to me until you've looked at it all. And I thought, well, that's really weird. And like, why am I gonna look at all these books and things? And I had no idea the education in looking at other people's work. It's, it's amazing, other strong photographers work. So I have continued from that day to immerse myself. I have a bit of a, a bookaholic now to immerse myself in other people's work because it, it just none of my work comes out looking like that like i could study todd Heidel all day and i'd get something from it my work would never look like his because that's not what what's inside of me but it would certainly influence certain things like his use of light or maybe i should experiment with that light or you know that kind of thing but 
Yeah, so I guess that was my introduction to photography, a very long answer to it. I mean, it seems like you have a very intentional and structured approach, uh, maybe to your life. I mean, I, again, I don't know how you live the rest of your life, but it is interesting, for example, the idea of wanting to take photographs and then immediately thinking I needed a formal education, technical training, reach out to a mentor. Uh, you know, there's a very... Um, yeah, not to be reductionist, but almost a geometric shape that's in my mind about how this works. I don't know, A, am I kind of accurate in that? And B, is that something um, that's I mean, helped you or been part of your education in business? I mean, it, it is fascinating. Most creatives I know feel a bit looser at the beginning. There's something more, I don't know, uh, mercurial maybe. But it is, it is interesting to hear how direct you've been in this. Well, you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm very direct in learning things, but I have never made a shooting list in my entire life and I won't. I like, even with my, my forest project, The Giving Trees, I did another, I did an interview about The Giving Trees and somebody said, well, you know, I guess that makes sense for people, but surely when you go out into the forest, you know what you're going to go and shoot, but you know where you, no, like the forest has the story and I just walk into the forest and it will show me the story and then I will start to photograph it. So I, I may be very, I don't even know if I'm, like I'm not a structured person. I'm very intuitive. And maybe maybe what you're picking up on is the, the intuition of needing to inform myself very quickly to bring all these things together. But you know, I, I've, I've changed, I've done so many things in my life. I, um, I have, well, I've gone to business school, I've, gone the whole business career thing. I was very uh, focused every time I went into a, a different, and I changed in, in my position, probably changed every two years because I just kept doing this, moving forward, doing this, moving forward. And, and in that, it was always closing a gap very quickly and trying to pull in all these things that I needed to do. And then going into the the whole cancer center thing, every, you know, you can't do that. That can't be done. Well, of course it can't just do it. And this is what you need to do. And then you start building a team and you get it done and you move on to the next thing. But I've also done that in terms of mountain climbing, done mountain. I started uh, like when I was younger, started mountain biking, ended up on the same field as Allison Sidor and uh, raced in the, the Canada cup. And, you know, I, I just, when I get onto something, I get very targeted and I bring in everything I need to learn that specific thing and then I, I move forward. So it may sound structured, but I do it in a very, when I actually go to do it, I just kind of feel it as I go. But I think you need a certain level of internalization of information and knowledge before you can really act intuitively and get something back that's usable. Does that make sense? Yes. Do you, uh, is this something that you've always been like since you were a kid? Is this something that changed in your life that you became so direct and focused? I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, you've brought up even mountain biking. It's, uh, it's fascinating. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I'm trying to think about if I've ever <laughs> been so direct about anything. Oh, no, I, I, I grew up with horses. I trained horses. Um, here's a quirky thing. I, I, I have leash trained as a kid every year, a thousand pound steer. So, <laughs> so I, I've done I, the 4-H thing. I mean, maybe it's just growing up with those kinds of structures and knowing what you had to do to learn to take care of an animal and, and learn to like barrel race or go out there and do those kinds of things. Maybe it's, it's just a part of the way I, I I learned growing up an approach to doing something and I've just reapplied it. 
or maybe not. Well, you know, I, I, mean, I, I can't speak to the city, rural, urban, you know, experiences, but I have met some people, particularly out here. I mean, in Toronto, it's a little bit, uh, obviously, much more dense, um, a lot less agriculture. But um, folks that I've met out here that come from smaller towns, particularly uh, either in livestock or in farming, and this is there's no way to to say everybody from a small town acts the same way. Yeah. But some of them that I've met, you know, when you grow up in that environment, there's uh, yeah structures required or a discipline or a rigor because that is the uh, the spirit of being able to live in a harsh environment like ours. Uh, you can't really lay back and have a functioning life. I think. I mean, I I don't know. I spent too much time laying back, but. There's something formative about that. It's fascinating. I mean, how do you, what is the leash training? <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't know anything about livestock. Uh, well, it, it's not something, it, it's something you would only do if you were in 4-H, but you would have to, like, you'd pick your, so every spring, in the fall, you would have a show with your animal, of course, because you want to show off your steer. <laughs> in the In the spring, you'd have to pick out which one that was going to be. So you'd go out to the herd and go, okay, that one looks like it's going to size up properly. And, and you know, you'd learn the different parts of the beef, cattle, and, and, and so forth. And you get to look, this one's going to finish nicely. So this is the one you want to eat with. But it wasn't just a matter of, you know, picking this and then feeding it and showing it. It's like you actually had to teach it how to take on a halter, walk beside you properly, stop when you wanted it to stop. And they're not the smartest animals. They're not like a horse. <laughs> um, so they're a bit more difficult to, to train and, and have to bath it and make it look all fluffy and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, what, what's that like washing a bull? It's... Uh... <laughs> oh, oh, well, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of smelly. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, well, it's as stubby as like washing any animal. <laughs> like a giant 2,000 pound animal, but yeah. Like how big, how, what's the biggest, what's the biggest uh, steer? Like how big are they? I don't even know. Well, a steer won't get quite as large as a bull, but probably like 1,200 pounds. Yeah. Jesus. All right. It's a lot of pounds. That would be a big, big one. So anywhere between like 800, 850 to 1,100 would be kind of normal. Yeah. I'm just, when you said leash, I'm just imagining like a, a dog <laughs> leash and a 1200 pound animal. It's great. Uh, that would be a picture. That would be a picture. More halt, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So we get into getting a camera. I mean, what, what is it? So you're saying that before 2018, you have no connection with art and uh, photography. That can't be true. I, I have purchased art. That would, you know, oh, I like that, I'll buy that. But other than that, no. I, and I would take like with my instant camera, uh, family photos, or, you know, when we were travel, I would I would take family photos and I would take pictures of the kids' sports teams and activities and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm pretty sure I never went off manual for any of that, so. Do you think there's any particular thought that it, it had to be a camera instead of, you know, uh, an acrylic paint set or charcoal on a sketch pad or? poetry or a podcast what was it do you think that drew you to the camera you know to kind of uh, revisit this issue of feeling like you had missed out or were about to miss out with something uh, with your family you know counterbalancing your career and all these other things that were going on in your life 
Do you remember if there's a conscious thought that it had to be photography? Well, you know, I think it in part would have been, you know, taking pictures for the sports teams, but, you know, versus other forms of art, just the sheer volume, of course, that you can do with, with a camera versus, and I don't think you ever want to see me with a paintbrush. It's just not good. <laughs> but, um, you know, whenever I would take pictures, like downloading that card, I'm not somebody that can wait. That's like opening a Christmas present, really. It's like a little treasure box. And, and whatever you find in there, there's so many little treasures. So I've just always loved, you know, taking it out, downloading it and looking through it very quickly and being happy with what I saw. And yeah, so just experiencing more and more of that. It's just, I don't know, I still enjoy that. It's still a treasure box. How do we get from, you know, uh, wanting to be around your family to some of these projects? I mean, I again, I've only been on the website um, but you've traveled for work. Uh, for me, developing projects is a complex and uh, I don't want to say unnatural. I think that's a little too self-deprecating, but um, something that is not, has been not natural for me, I'm just learning now, is both important and a necessary structure, which I lack, I suspect, because uh, I haven't uh, least trained a steer, but... Um, <laughs> I can teach you. <laughs> What uh, what do you think? I mean, is it uh, yeah? How do you how do you come up with the idea of a project for yourself? Um, and they're pretty abstract. I mean, it's not just photographs of your family. You've been around the world. You've done this, that, and the other thing. Um, even moving through COVID into uh, these natural landscapes and talking about uh, the earth as opposed to human subjects, uh, um, that's got to come from somewhere. It's just really organic. I when I um, I, I go to Tokyo. Uh, frequently as an example over time and one of my projects that I've started and I really wish I could get back to is on on salary men and I've got I've got other ones that aren't on my website like an office girl and very early stages so is the question why or I mean as I learned why, why is a complex question I mean maybe how and uh, as you're speaking all I'm thinking about is you know what are you doing in Japan and how do you even know what a salary man is? Uh, it's, it's not tourism, you know, we're not no, just going, yeah, I just, so. I travel a lot. And every time I travel, I see something where I am going, wow, that's really fascinating. So just, just to leave the Tokyo thing away, after I, after I did my teens project and I was in Israel and I was watching teenagers there in both the like West Bank and, and Jerusalem side, and I'm looking just even there how different their lives are as teenagers on those sides. But versus teenagers in our country, wow. I have pictures of 18-year-old teenagers. It's another project I'm trying to get to. Um, girls all in uniform, in their army uniforms, uh, learning different parts of being in the army and, and intelligence and that kind of thing. But wow, what a different way of being a teenager. Yet they're doing all the same things. You know, they're still on their phones. They're still like sneaking out back for a cigarette or, you know, that kind of behavior is still the same. And on the Palestinian side, very different, much more like to sneak off and do something would be very different there versus the Jerusalem. So, so when you say, how do you come up with these things? I think you just kind of, you start on one and one informs the next. And to me, that would be my teens project where I started informing the next project, which would be how does that compare to teenagers in other parts of the world? And like in, in going then going to Japan and Tokyo, it would be the teenagers there and the anime culture and the, you know, it's, it's just, it's a cultural difference, but 
my idea was to show the similarities and they're all they all behave the same they're doing all these different things but they're all the same but yeah so so when i go to some place i just start noticing these things and when i i see salary man i just think of the freedom that we have in our own country to just get up and do what we want to do and you would think that would be the case in some place like like tokyo but culturally it's so different from us and i'm not saying it's good bad but you start to see these things because it's it's perhaps not your culture you know it's sort of like somebody can observe something about me that i would never have noticed because it's it's different to them and just how they become so so salary man is an example and that that field of work there was just recently well recent when i was there last which would have been 2019 legislation put in that you can only work 40 hours of overtime a week that's as much as overtime you can work but all that happened because uh, people were literally dying of work because they were they were so exhausted what happened is they ended up just being only paid for 40 hours a week but they still had to work those hours um anyway so long answer i just start to observe things and it's kind of organic it's, there's no pre-thought before I... i also hear you know once you get that concept you must research a lot because You know, there's it's one thing to kind of walk past a scene and notice something that's on the surface, topical. So, uh, case in point, I don't know. Let's say you're in Israel and you see um, either you know teenagers wearing different clothing under different cultural pressures, uh, but also you know, let's say a plain. <laughs> that's such a, a, a bad word, but playing the same as somebody else would, let's say in North America. But it sounds like you're doing other work around it. Like you're asking contextual and cultural questions. Is that, I mean, am I right about that? Are you are you kind of going beyond just taking a picture? Because a lot of people take snapshots and they don't become projects. So there's a sense that you've immersed, I mean, you brought up anime. Most people who visit Japan, I mean, it's, it's a little hard to ignore, but they may not uh, ask that next question. So do you find that that's a part of the process that comes in reflection after, or am I kind of reading too much into it? <laughs> Well, the research has to come from the person that you're collaborating themselves with. So as an example, um, one of the fellows, I mean, I've kept in contact with the people that I started photographing because my intent, they're uh, what were called freshmen. So freshmen start every April. It's not like in Canada where you can start at any day of the year. And if they all start in the same month there, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. And so what I want, I intentionally wanted to photograph freshmen and then go back every year to see how things were progressing for them in their careers. So the fellows that I started to, to work with, I literally just met them on the street, walked up to them and built a, a, a relationship, sort of cold calling, if you like. Uh, hey, can I see in your fridge kind of thing? <laughs> so I knew a little bit about Salary Man. I knew what I'd read, but it, it's, you can only learn from them. And so, and, and each one of them interprets it and goes through it on their, in their own way. And that's, you just have to be really open to observing and not letting your mind take over. You have to let what's happening in front of you take over. There's the intuition, see? In, <laughs> but you, you gotta, you just have to let, the story will unfold in front of you and you just have to, you just have to capture it. And I think it's really the way of, like even the, the, um, images the project about my father echoes i had no preconceived notion of what that was going to look like when i started it i just thought it was 
I picked up the camera to work with my dad very much in the same way as I picked up the camera to, to um, photograph my kids. You know, I've, I've done that pro the kids project to the teens project. And I look at my father who's 85 at the time and I'm thinking, wow, well, now I'm going to take a camera and capture every last moment I have with him, you know, because it's 85. And so I, I just started going out with him and holding the camera. And, it, it, you know, it really was a gift because rather than getting up in the morning and saying, what are we going to do for lunch today? You get up in the morning and you go and explore together because the intent is to take pictures and to learn about them. So you have to let him say where he wants to show you. And I heard more stories making that project than I think I've heard from my father in years and years and years because it was it was somewhat intentional. And I guess maybe the camera provides a bit of a protection screen to be able to ask deeper and different questions too. A personal shield, if you like, or a, I, I, I don't know. So that, that project, so what, what has happened is after we started visiting some of these old abandoned homesteads that used to be in his family, you know, his Uncle Charlie used to live there. You'll like this one, Auntie Toots used to live there. <laughs> but I started realizing that as we're going through these things that, you know, it, all of a sudden he'd get this big smile on his face when he walked into this building he hasn't in, been in for years. And he'd walk up and he'd, he'd put out his hands, oh, this is where the table used to be. That was originally going to be the, the title of the project because he just did that strong reaction. But then he started realizing, you know, all these places hold echoes for him. And some of the echoes are really strong, like he can still hear his cousins running up and down hallways, you know, from years ago. And some are weak, some are happy, some are sad, but they're all there. So, you know, the, the project becomes sort of the, the layers of personal history that we all gather over time. And and how all these mementos and, and things can hold echoes for us and memories. And, and again, you know, it's just it's just something that you just have to follow once you start, you have to listen and, and look and wait and things will present themselves. So it's not anything you, I think you can research. I The first thought I have is uh, one of accessibility. Another one I think you brought up is the, yeah, the role, the medium, the sort of barrier that a camera places between a photographer and a subject. So um, I guess the one from a technical aspect, you know, you are able to get access. So, you know, how is, I mean, that's gotta be a lot of your personality too. I mean, I'm not approaching people in the street and asking them what's in their fridge, but um, how have you experienced that? Uh, you know, both as um, like a white woman in Japan, I don't know if you speak Japanese, uh, is it through a handler or are these just happenstance Japanese people that can speak English? Um, even with your father, this idea, I mean, I don't know if this is true now, but certainly 10 years ago, if I asked my dad to uh, look through a photo album with me, uh, he would say no. Um, and that's uh, that's just the personality where he's at with his life. But it is fascinating to hear an experience where you... Um, are inspired by work that you've done. You go and visit your dad in Saskatchewan, presumably Saskatchewan, and um, he wants to give you access to it. So there's something, I think, you know, I, I, again, I'm implying in how you approach these things that's uh, opening doors for you. Is there something you think that's intentional? Is something structured about that? Or do you just find that, you know, your personality is that you get up, you talk to people, they open their doors and you move on? <laughs> well, first of all, in Japan, um, it's interesting. Nobody speaks English. Yes. But you will discover that they will all write English and it's perfect. Ah. You can communicate by writing 100%. Like it's, it's 
it, it's when you look at their writing, you'll go, why can't you speak it? This is so, to me, it's harder to write than to speak a language. I don't know how you, anyway, so any of them can pretty much write out full sentences and paragraphs and, and that kind of thing. I did out on day, on some days work with a fixer in Japan, just because I didn't know the areas and the train systems. And when you need to work fast, you need to work fast. You, you don't have time to figure that stuff out. You don't want to mess it up. Like you, you need to be able to get in when you're getting in. But even, even the fixer would say, you're a very disarming person. <laughs> so I just, I, I think I'm kind of like the soccer mom with the camera. Nobody says no to me. So <laughs> like, I'm, like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a threat. So I don't know. But I, I have to say, working with teenagers right out of the gate, I will never in my life have a, a more difficult challenge because teenagers do not like their pictures taken. And over time, you know, I wore them down and then they warmed up and then they kind of like, it's like I was a fly in the wall. They didn't care I was there. And with, with the salary, salary man or the, the office girl, I think it's just, there's a certain touch to approaching somebody. You can't be too bold, but you can't be too shy. And you kind of have to get into somebody's music. Now, everybody has their own music. Like my kids, my daughter is like, if it would have been from my era, it would she would have been like grunge rock. And not that she's like grunge style, but just like her personalities go go and energetic. And my son would have been more a little bit of Bach, you know? And you just you get to know their music. And if you want to work with them, you have to jump in on their beat and work with their symphony. And that's the way I find with people photographing them to get to their story, not your own. This week's sponsor is the Calgary Foundation proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. Everyone wants to feel a sense of belonging. Now, more than ever, we are united by a desire to take action and help others by creating a community built on kindness and compassion. From small creative projects to larger citizen-led initiatives, the Calgary Foundation provides grassroots grants to encourage and support people who want to create and strengthen bonds between neighbors and communities. If you've got an idea to improve, enhance, or revitalize your community or neighborhood, visit calgaryfoundation.org to find out more about the Foundation's grant opportunities and visit Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channel. How do we learn photography and what do we do with them? It is fascinating to follow Angela on her path. Her insight into how each project is brought on by the previous one was fascinating for me. Often, I have this assumption that projects appear as almost divine acts of inspiration, but I think Angela's experience showed me the opposite. Learning to pay attention to what she was most passionate about led her to becoming more aware of other people around her. Starting with looking at the teenagers in her home led to looking at teenagers in different countries, then young adults, and then her essay with her father. Each pursuit influenced and building on the last. Now, we can't all be documentarians. She has an intuition and an innate ability to connect with others. I mean, she describes it as being aware of people's music. But a greater insight is that starting off with something we're passionate about and then becoming open to what awareness that brings will lead us to our next adventure. This is probably how we can keep growing as artists. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling stuck and uninspired, Perhaps this is a good moment to reflect on your past work, see what you connected with, and then look at the world through that lens. 
there are so many connections to new experiences in the old. If that fails, her first insight is probably the most powerful. Searching out for mentorship, focusing on direct learning. That may be a great way to find said enlightenment. Look out for photographers and creators out there that you admire and see how you might become part of their world. Well, now that I've learned a little bit more about you, is there something you miss about your past self? So, I don't know how you interpret that, but you've worn a lot of different hats. Oh, where do we start? Uh, raising, what is it? Leashing? Hand leashing? No. <laughs> I've had, you know, I, the past self, that's interesting. I, I don't think I, like, I'm just, I, I can't think of a past self because they're just all me. But anyway, um, no, I just move on to the next thing. Yeah, there's nothing I miss. If if there's if I missed it, I would go back to it. 